I wanted you to see that so that you know that as you give here and as you give to Annie Armstrong during this season, you're giving to an extension of our, of our mission, an extension of our church family that are right out there on the front lines. And so I encourage you to be sacrificial in your giving and in your praying. I will tell you, I've been getting regular texts uh, from uh, Chris and Gib Gerlach uh, that Chris is on her way to China this morning. And so we praise the Lord uh, for that uh, safe travel. Let's pray for them as they continue to go. Well, take your Bibles, church. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're in the midst of a series, if you're a guest with us, called Sit, Walk, Stand. And this is God's exercise program for the people of God. Uh, This is how we become the kind of church that we need to be. This is how we grow deeper in our faith. And this is how we grow wider in our impact. As we learn to sit and rest in the reality of what Christ has done for us. And in the reality and identity of who we are as his children. And then we walk. And that is the way we live our lives. That's another way the New Testament describes our lifestyle. And walking is a progression and how we're growing as Christians. And we're in the middle of that. And what we're going to do on this Palm Sunday and next week on Easter is we're going to talk about, we're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to do a little walk with Jesus. And we're going to walk to the cross. And as we watch Jesus walk to the cross, it will enable us, empower us, and encourage us to walk the kind of new life Christ has purchased for us and gifted us through his spirit. So to do that, let's stand together, and I want you to read along with me, just follow along as I read this very powerful passage telling us what the Christian walk looks like. This is the walk of someone who is new. And I'm not talking about new to the church or a guest or or new in life. This is someone who has been given a new nature. uh, They're born again. And he says, this is what you should expect. This is what you should look like if you have had the new birth in Christ. He says, now I say and testify in the Lord... That you must no longer, what? Walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now what's interesting is that this book is primarily, this letter is written primarily to a bunch of Gentiles. (laughs) And he says, don't walk like who you are. Don't walk the way you naturally would. Don't be who you used to be. Be who you now are in Christ. He says, you see, the Gentile walk is futile. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of iniquity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, Westside. Assuming that you are a Christian, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, here's what you learned. To put off your old, what? Self. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirits 
of your mind and to put on the new self. Or maybe your translation says the new nature. Or maybe your translation says the new man. Literally, it's anthropos, the new man. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having done that, having put away falsehood, now let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not even let the sun go down on your anger and give an opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him work. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who has need and to give an offering to Annie Armstrong. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. These are our marching orders, Father. Somewhat like when Moses took your law and brought it down to the people and said, here's the way to live life. This text says, here's the way to live life. But God, thank you that before you give us the rules, you give us the capacity and the new nature and the Holy Spirit which will enable us enable us to live them. Thank you. So help us put on the new man to live like the people we are. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hate to bring up something that you're probably tired of hearing. You want a little bit of a respite when you come to church, but I also feel like I have to bring it up because it's just in our face every single day. On Tuesday, you were given the opportunity to vote in a primary, and I hope that you exercise your right as citizens, and I think your obligation as followers of Christ to, to place your vote out there. But here's what's interesting to me, is as I watch it from a, 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 a human nature standpoint, it's, it's rather interesting to watch. If I can just take my emotions out of it and just watch... It, it, is a, it is amazing to see what is happening in our country at, during this presidential election and this race for the presidency. And I can tell you that if I went down the road with most of you, you probably have some strong opinions. And you're looking at the different candidates and you're saying, how in the world can someone vote for that person? What are they thinking and, and it would be interesting to hear all of your various opinions. And, and, and some of you just would think, how can somebody vote for someone who doesn't have any experience, that is belligerent and has that uh, curses all the time and, and is just a TV celebrity? And you look at Trump and you're thinking, what kind of individual could possibly vote for Donald Trump? And then there are others of you who would look and say, what are they thinking? How is it possible that there's a person on the, on the, uh, uh, the ballot who is an avowed socialist 
and that the people are just saying, uh, casting their vote for a socialist. Who would have ever thought we'd have come to that point? And then there are probably some of you who are looking at it and saying, how would anybody vote for someone in the establishment and continue the, the gridlock and the craziness we've had for years? Does that kind of define it? We just see you, that we're, we're thinking, what is our choice? And how can people make such strange choices? Really, it's a study in, a, uh, in human nature. And I'm not going to comment on all of the candidates and comment on that, but I want to show you something even more bizarre, but in a way somewhat similar. And this is an even more tragic moment 2,000 years ago. And here's the moment. Jesus has spent three years healing, feeding, teaching, demonstrating and declaring he is the king, the promised Messiah of Israel. He's never sinned. He's continually loved. He's demonstrated his authority, his identity. And here he comes. And he even chooses to come into Jerusalem on that Palm weekend, that Palm Sunday. He chooses to come in not on the white horse of a conquering victor, but he comes on on a baby donkey. Fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, but also saying this, I come in peace. I come to bring peace to Jerusalem. I come to meet your needs. I come as the, the, as the prince of peace. He comes as a Messiah. And then you see people casting their votes. There was this huge crowd that followed him from Galilee. You know why they were following him? There was a huge crowd following him from Galilee primarily because he f- fed them. They were, in a sense, the, 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 the handout folks. Just keep feeding me, Jesus. Just keep healing me. And we'll follow you as long as you feed us. And then there was a huge crowd that when they heard Jesus was coming, came out of the city to greet him. You know why they came out? Because they, these are the folks that heard about his power. They were the ones that had heard that recently he raised a guy by the name of Lazarus from the dead. And so there was a second group that came out of the city. And you know what they were excited about? They, did, they weren't worried about Jesus feeding them. They were worried about Jesus liberating them from the Romans. They wanted to use his power not to fill their bellies. They wanted to use his power to put them in power. To free them. To do away with the government that was there. And then there was another group that was just waiting for him. They were the establishment. It was made up of the Sadducees. And the Pharisees who were in power, and it was made up of Pilate, Herod, and the Roman government. They were not concerned with Jesus giving them his power. They were not concerned with Jesus feeding their bellies. They were concerned with him being silenced. Leave us in power. Don't mess with us. We like where we're at. They were enriched and empowered where they were at. And so you see people voting for Jesus, but they're voting for him for all the wrong reasons. Isn't that interesting? How do we know they were voting for the wrong reasons? Well, here's how. Just a few few days later, they picked up their palms. They picked up their coats. They rescinded their votes. 
And they said, crucify him. Crucify him. What's that all about? How can people be so confused? How can people look at Jesus for three years and be so confused? How can they not get it? I'll tell you why. It's because it is their nature. It is the sin, broken, twisted heart, unreasonable reason. It is the effect of sin that has given us a dead, calloused, broken human nature. That we would vote one way on Sunday and vote another on Friday. Well, Paul the Apostle comes to this church in Ephesus and he says, here's what has happened and here's what you need to do, church. And this is a message to us at Westside. This is a message to you individually. This is what, what Christ has done for you, what salvation is not all about is not to make you just think better. It's not to make you be better. What he did for you on that Easter weekend 2,000 years ago, what he did for you is provide for you something you had to have to ever think right, live right, or be right. He provided for you a new nature. A new way of thinking, a new heart. Christianity did not come to make you better. Jesus did not come to make you better. He came to make you what? New. And so the, 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 the passage that we just read is rather fascinating because at the end of it, you've got all the rules. You've got the fine print of Christianity. And some of you have been waiting for that this entire series. When are you going to get to the rules? You've been talking about being saved for three. I'm tired of how saved I am. I want the rules. I want to know what I got to do. And so you're finally there. But even when he gets to the rules, do not steal. Do not be angry and murder someone in your heart. Do not bear false witness. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds a little bit like the Ten Commandments. But even before he gets into the Ten Commandments, notice what, Jesus, what, what the Apostle Paul reminds us of. He puts in the first part of this text, he says, you must put on, what? The new man. Because the old nature, the old man, the old way of being who you are can't even keep the rules. You can't keep the rules. So Jesus came to make you new. So he says, put on the new man. And he answers three questions to help, us, to help encourage us to do this. The first question is, what was wrong with my old nature? The second question is, what is different about my new nature? And then the third question I'll close with is, how do we get it? How do we get this new nature? Well, let's talk about what's wrong with our new, with our old nature. Look at verse 17. It is futile. He says it is, it is, it is futile because they are darkened in their understanding. They're darkened in their understanding. Then it says they, uh, in your old nature, you have a hardness of heart which keeps information from entering into your heart and your mind. It is calloused and hardened because of sin. And you're darkened in your understanding. 
It even says in verse 22, look at verse 22, to put off your old self. Why? Because it belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The problem with the old nature, Paul says, is that it's totally corrupt. And, and, and he just kind of defines it. I put it more simply. You can't think right in your old nature. Your old nature thinks wrong. It will vote wrong every time. And I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about morally, ethically, spiritually. It doesn't hear right. You can't really hear in your old nature. You, it doesn't penetrate the hardness of your heart. You can't even feel right in the old nature because you are driven by deceiving desires. And you give that, that old nature in us gives up our life to sensuality, gives us our, up our life to our bellies, gives up our life to our pride, gives up our life to those things that uh, are in the world that want to control us. We do that. We don't even feel right. We lose our sense of, of, of conscience. And it is futile. He describes the old nature. If you're living in the old man, your life is futile, meaning it doesn't matter. It doesn't build up anything of eternal value. And really, if you are searching for things out of the old nature, just to fill the pride, to fill the belly and the lust of the flesh, and to, and to kind of do your own thing... It's also futile in that it never, never satisfies. And so he says, put off that old life. Put off the old man. Put it off. He says, this is what is wrong with the old nature. That is so incredibly demonstrated by that crowd that followed Jesus. Remember back in John chapter 6? He tried to fix this. He had just fed the 5,000, which really added up to about 20 if you added children and kids into there. He, he fed them with the five loaves and two fishes. Remember the story? Well, he built a big crowd, and they followed him, and he finally, in John chapter 6, turned around and said, you know, if you're following me for the bread, I got a message for you. I can fill your belly, but that is not going to do you any good. I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat of me and drink my blood. Whoa! <laughs> That thinned the crowd. But there was still a crowd following him in the old nature. They voted, sure, you're my king, as long as you fill my belly. But then when they realized he had come to die, and so he spent that week kind of teaching and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not here to fulfill the old nature's desire. I'm here to go to a cross and die and be resurrected on the third day. As soon as they started to perceive he wasn't there to fulfill their desires, they changed their vote, said, crucify him. This king won't do what I want. The old nature will always make the wrong choice. The old nature came out to meet Jesus. This guy can raise people from the dead but they weren't concerned about eternal life. They weren't concerned about the deadness of their spirit. They were hoping that Jesus would come and use some of that incredible power to put them in power, to liberate them, to set them free. They wanted to use Jesus for a different purpose. And the old nature, listen, a lot of, a lot of folks that sit in churches that are sitting under a steeple, that are sitting in front of a, a priest or a preacher this morning, a lot of them are sitting there completely in the old nature. They're there 
practicing a religion, hoping that Jesus will do for them what they want. Paul says that that will lead to death and destruction. And there are people who take the name of Christ, but they are still absolutely blinded. And they're voting for Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm going to church. They're voting for Jesus, but they're voting in the old nature. Do what I want for you. And here's what happens. When they walk through that journey and life doesn't give them what they were counting on, they change their tune. They fall away. They forsake their king. And then there's the crowd in there that are content, the establishment crowd. Can I tell you, this is the one you need to fear. This is the one that can represent us. You know why? Because of all the Christians in the world, you and I are the most comfortable. You and I are the most comfortable. And a lot of churches and a lot of Christians really struggle when Christ and the reality of what Jesus wants and the reality of true discipleship comes into their comfort zone of their religion. They get really uncomfortable because they don't want Jesus messing with their Christianity. (laughs) I'm preaching truth. Is anybody with me this morning? Sometimes we're the establishment crowd. If we're living in the old nature, Jesus came to die, and you know what he tells his followers? You threw down the palm, and I appreciate that, but now I'm asking you to pick up your cross and do what? Follow me. So, that's the old nature. It's deceiving. It's deadly. It's debilitating. So Paul says, put that off. This is what you do when you become a follower of Christ. You make a decision, and this... Is interesting. He's not telling them to put on and put off. What he he's, just, he's saying this is what you learned and this is what you did if you are a believer. You came to a decisive point in your life where you decided my old nature is sinful. It is killing me. It has killed me. It is destined for eternal punishment. I put off the old nature and I receive and put on the new nature that comes from Jesus. And and that's what he's reminding them of. And now he's saying, now, by the renewing of your mind, and that's the the participle here that, that continues to happen in our lives, by the renewing of our mind, we begin to fill out and live in and fully in that new nature. And as we do that, we're able to, to live out those commands, to be nicer, to be gentle, and to be all of those things. But there's something different about the new nature. Because the new nature can be faked. Because I've met people in other religions worshiping the doctrines of demons who are nicer than a lot of believers. That are more sacrificial in their giving than a lot of Christians I know. That are more hospitable and welcoming than a lot of Christians I know. 
There are people who through sheer willpower, talent can be nice and wonderful and good. There's a lot of good people out there that are as lost as they can be. You see, parts of these rules can be followed in our own strength. And what is different? Let's answer that second question. What is different about the new nature? What's different about the new man? Well, let's look at this text. In verse 25, you'll notice that he gives all the rules. He gives a bunch of Christian rules. And I could preach one sermon on every single one of them, but I've chosen not to say amen, right? I'll come back to anger another time. I'll come back to stealing another time. We can talk about, I'm just going to give you all at once. But here's what's unique about all of these commands is attached to every single one of these commands is a motivation. It is the motivation for what you do that makes you new. That, that is, a, is the sign of newness. Notice this. In verse 25, he says, put away falsehood. You speak truth to his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of the same body. Every single one of these commands has a connection to relationships with other people. Every single one of these commands come in, comes into the context of our relationship. And all of them are motivated by love. Motivated by the heart of Jesus. Motivated by the desire to have right relationship with God. And anybody who loves God will love his brethren. And First John says, if you don't love your brethren, if you have no, no motivation to be one with the rest of the members of the body of Christ, that the love for others is not in you, First John says, the love of God is not in you. Because the new man, the new nature, has a motivation that is driven from the heart towards relationship horizontally to make things right with others and to be in right relationship with God. Look at verse 26. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And, and I think this is the motivation. The reason I don't want to do that, the reason I don't want to be angry at you and I want to reconcile with you is because I know if I let bitterness come into my life between you and me, between me and my wife, between me and my kids, me and my neighbor, that bitterness is a foothold for the devil. And the devil has no place here, does he? He has no place. And the devil, if he gets a foothold in the body of Christ, he can create havoc and division and deface the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And so we're motivated. You see the motivation for each of these commands is the glory of God. We have the new clothes. We've got the new man. Why would we want to deface that with the old life? So I won't be angry and sin. I'm not going to lie to others and deface the new clothes and the new man. Occasionally, my wife has been upset with me. <clears throat> One of the recurring issues that I do from time to time is I, there's a little odd job here or there in the garage or out in the yard. And I decide out of, I guess, laziness, I don't know why it is, but I just decide, I think I can do this job in what I've got on. It's just a little hole. Inevitably, I take my new khakis 
and my new shirt. I take them out in the yard in my new shoes. And I figure, what's this little hole? I mean, I can just dig this really quickly, no problem. And on my new outfit, which she helped pick out probably, I come in with the mud of the world. And Paul is saying, he bought you new clothes. Why would you drag it into the old life? Don't do that. You come in with something that was purchased with the blood of Christ, covered in the mud of this world. Put on the new man. And it will give you the right motivation. You know what she says to me before I go out and work in the yard? You know what she says to me? Put on your what? Put on your work clothes. Put on your old clothes. Put, go find the shirt that's already got paint on it before you paint. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? We don't have that option as Christians. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, after church is over on Sunday, put on your old clothes and your work clothes and go back out into the world. Then change back in to your Sunday best before you walk back in front of other believers. That, my friend, is religion and it's dead. It's worthless. That's the old nature. I'll put on the new suit so that I get man's applause, everybody thinks good of me, and I feel good when I walk out. You will perish in your old nature. Paul says, put on the new man. Where do we get that from? Where do we get the new man? This is awesome. That new man stood on the side of the Mount of Olives. And he looked at the city of Jerusalem he was about to walk into. The new, untainted, sinless man. Paul calls him the new Adam. The sinless man. The perfect nature stood on the side of the Mount of Olives. And Luke tells us he looked at Jerusalem and wept. He didn't weep like I do at a Disney movie little tear the word weep meant he wailed he was broken because he knew that they were about to vote for him as king in their old nature and he said you, if you only knew Jerusalem that I was coming to you in peace, and if you only knew what would really bring you peace. And he wept at the deadness of their life, the deadness of the old nature, and he's weeping over our nation and our world even today as he looks at us and he sees us dead in our old man, our old hearts. 
But I'm so glad he didn't sit on the side of the Mount of Olives, sit in his tears and just say, it's too bad world. But here's what he did. He walked to the cross. He walked off the mountain. Humbled himself. Put his kingly body and mind on a baby donkey. Walked into a city he knew was about to crucify him. Listened to the excitement and the cheers of people. And he knew it wasn't real. But he walked. He walked into the temple. And he cleared it out. He walked up to the establishment. I wish I had time to preach all of this. He walked up to the establishment. He looked him in the face. And he said, he told a parable of a king who had, had, a, had sent his son to invite people to the feast. And those people kept rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it. And then he, then he sent another. He sent his son and, and invited people to the feast. And they kept rejecting it. And then he just said, all right, everybody come to the feast. And so there are people all in the feast. And he's walking through. The king is walking through the crowd. He's walking through the crowd. And he comes up on a guy. He says, you're not supposed to be here. You know why? So you're wearing the wrong clothes. You want me, but you are not willing to put off the old man and put on the new. You don't have the wedding garments. And back in those days, that the head of that wedding would have even would have provided that garment for them. And they would not take the time humble themselves, take off their old, filthy garments and put on what the king had purchased for them. What are you wearing this morning? Are you following me? When Jesus died on the cross, here's what happened. Let me read it for you. And I pray these verses will just, will just blow you away. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for who? All. Therefore, all have died. We're all dead. We all have the old nature. But the king died for all. And he died for all so that those who live may no longer live for who? Their bellies, their pride, their established power. They may no longer live for themselves, but may live for him who for their sake died and was what? Raised. Therefore, verse 17 says, if any man is in Christ... He is just a better person. 
Stop right there. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? I don't want a church full of nice people. I could go down to the Mormon church and find that. I could go to the Hindu temple and find that. I could go down to the Islamic mosque and probably find full of nice people. What Jesus has provided for you is to make this a church full of new people. New. And if you're not wearing the new life he purchased for you, when you stand before the king, he's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. So here's the decision. And it is a decision you have to make. Will you put on Christ today? Something he gave his life for, something we're celebrating today. He gave his life so that he could make you new. Would you receive that? What are you going to have to do? In your heart of hearts, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're, going to have to, you're just going to have to take it off. You're going to have to take off the old man. You're going to take off the old life and repent of that. And then you take the new life that Christ gave you You take the new life that Christ gave you and you have to put it on. Let's pray together.